0: Well, today we start a brand new series entitled Counterfeit Christianity, and uh, if this is your first time here, you picked a really good time to come uh, because you're getting in on the ground floor the very first week. We're going to carry this series all through the summer, and you'll hear a little bit later kind of what the, what's behind the title, Counterfeit Christianity, and, uh, but yet I hope it's going to be a, just an engaging series for you. I hope it's going to be helpful. I think it's going to be enjoyable. I think you're going to learn a lot, definitely. That's, uh, that, that's for sure. Well, whenever you go to the Philippines with one of our teams, I can speak only for myself here, but I think it's probably safe to say that your experience will be somewhat similar to mine, that when you travel there, you will face a, uh, you'll come to kind of a halfway point in a, in a city called Cabanatuan. Now, whenever a mission team goes, almost always the team stops there. It's just kind of a little, you know, leg stretch and break, you know, when you travel and you're on the bus already for four hours. And plus, it's a good place to get food. Well, this is in the middle of the Philippines, right? So this little city, C- uh, Cabana Tuan, has a mall there. Not like Oglethorpe Mall, not like the Savannah Mall. It's not what you're thinking mall, but it's a mall to the folks in the Philippines. And there in that mall is a food court. And when you're coming back from two weeks gone... In that food court where the team always runs is usually the McDonald's uh, because it's there in the middle of that food court. And so two of my three trips there, I remember sitting in that food court, having my McDonald's in front of me and looking across the uh, kind of the, the seating area there in that food court and seeing 12 time zones away from us, seeing halfway around the world, a couple of U.S. born and raised Mormon missionaries. And I thought how odd that was, and yet at the same time I I thought that it was pretty much to be expected. That there on the other side of the world are those that believe something different than the gospel. I'd be willing to say that probably for most of us here, I won't ask for a show of hands, but probably for most of us, we have had interaction to some degree with a cult here in our country. You have had interaction in a lot of different ways. Maybe for you, it was when you were eating your bowl of Cheerios and there was a knock at the door on a Saturday morning and you were thinking, all right, who's that coming to my house? And you peeked out the window and then you slammed the curtain shut and said, hide! You probably maybe have that kind of experience, right, with a person from a cult group uh, uh, maybe you told the kids run and hide nobody breathe you know you kind of that was your response uh, or maybe you have been on you know television and late night you've seen a commercial right that has come out for a particular group and you see the advertisement you see the you know the, the flashy the flashy ad maybe you opened your mailbox one day and there in your mailbox was a flyer or perhaps a you know some type of a, a very well done glossy mail out that was there and that was your introduction to a cult perhaps maybe for you you have a family member. Maybe you have a loved one. Maybe you have a coworker. Maybe even for you, you, you were once in college or another point, point in your life a part of a group of a cult. Maybe you were immersed or maybe you were just kind of superficial in your attendance, kind of figuring out what was going on there. And yet whenever you think across the scope of just the people here in this group, I would be willing to say that for most all of us as adults, somewhere along the way, we have had interaction with a cult group or a person who was a part of a cult group. If I were to ask you to think in your mind now to name as many cult groups as you could think, you would probably bog down at around three or four. Some of you would maybe go to seven or eight. And yet we we have to realize that there are hundreds if not thousands worldwide of cult groups that are operating here on the face of the earth. Now, now, when you think about those particular groups, it, you think about some of the more common ones that you're familiar with, you think about some of the other ones that are just almost like, like, like a, you know, little factions almost to some degree. Maybe your question is immediately, well, what's the big deal? I mean, why do we have to be concerned necessarily with groups specifically like that? Well, well it's of the greatest importance. And for us, when we go through the series, Counterfeit Christianity, we're going to take the whole summer virtually, except maybe for one Sunday that I'll be out. We're going to look at about seven weeks after today of different individual cult groups, And and it's going to be incredibly important for a couple of reasons. One, it's because we have to understand that whenever we look at at the cult groups that are part of society today, that are part of our culture, we have to understand that there is a, a, a necessity for us to guard the body of Christ. Whenever we do a series like this, and I've never preached through a series, I've been here 13 years, done all kinds of series through books of the Bible, through different topical series. I've taught through different cult groups. But I've never preached a series, and so this summer decided, felt like the Lord was opening the door and leading to go ahead and do this. And one of the primary reasons is because we have to be faithful to guard the body of Christ, to guard what Scripture would call the flock, all right? Look at what this says, for example, in the book of Jude. You don't have to turn here, but just look at Jude, verse 3. It's only one chapter in the book of Jude, but look at verse 3. It says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Here's what that verse teaches us, real quickly: is it teaches of a faith, one faith that has been handed down through the ages. Whenever we think about truth, truth is not up for grabs; it is not up for opinion. When we think of truth, truth is clearly uh, explained to us in the pages of God's Word, in the pages of Scripture. And what this verse talks about is a need for the body of Christ, for believers to contend, to stand on, not argue with rudeness, right? Not try to win an argument, not try to prove my point in three minutes or less, but to contend earnestly for the faith. With a heart that understands the truth, with a mind that understands the truth, with a desire to communicate the truth so that others can walk in the truth. And so scripture tells us we have a mandate right here in this verse and others as well that we contend earnestly for the faith. And then there's also a need not just to, to, to protect the body of Christ but also to reach those that are deceived, that are not walking in truth. Ephesians 5 verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So there are two levels. If anybody wonders, why do we do a series called Counterfeit Christianity? I thought we're not supposed to judge. I thought we're not supposed to talk about others. I thought we're not supposed to do all that. Listen, it's so that we can protect ourselves. There is a front door approach and a back door approach to this series. The front door approach is that we might be able to be equipped to reach those that are not walking in truth. Right? Right? The backdoor approach is to close the back door so that the body of Christ doesn't get deceived and walk away from the truth of the gospel. If you study cult groups in this country, what you will often find, especially the more prominent ones, is that they are filled with people who were once occupants of seats and pews in churches that preach the message of the gospel and put Christ in the center. And yet what happened was, listen carefully, we don't have a free covering on our, over us, do we? All, right? all of us are susceptible to deception if we're not careful. What often happens is, is that someone will come to a hard time in their life. Their marriage is crumbling. They see a TV commercial of a cult group that's popular in this country, and it talks about family, and it talks about all the things that a beautiful family looks like. And before long, they're sending for information. They're visited by on-site missionaries, and they're pulled in and out of their Bible-believing Christ-centered church. Or they're going through a difficult time of turmoil in their lives. Someone knocks on their front door, hands them a nicely colored brochure that talks about peace both here and hereafter. Filled with some truth, filled with a lot of error. And before long, it's that person who is beginning to gravitate away from what they've always known and into something that will ultimately perhaps even shipwreck their faith. And so we do a series like this to protect the body of Christ and at the same time to give us a heart to evangelize and to take the truth of the gospel to those who desperately need to hear. And so I hope you'll plan to be here through the course of this particular series. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do an overview, just a flyover. You've flown in a plane, right? You get up 30,000 feet. When you're looking down, you don't see into people's yards. You don't know what kind of playground equipment they got. You don't know what cars parked on the curb. You don't know how many children they've got. You can't see from that level, right? When you're 30,000 feet, you see the big picture. You see fields and neighborhoods and all kinds of things going on. That's what we're doing today. I'm, a little different message. i to give you a lot of information. If you've got a pen, you might want to break it out. If you want to Get some of this down. And we're going to just fly over today and lay the groundwork for what we're going to look at in a series called Counterfeit Christianity. We're going to pull out a passage of scripture at the end to tie it all together. And then starting next Sunday, we're going to begin moving for the next few weeks, one group at a time. Obviously we can't hit every one of them because there's too many, but the ones that I think are more pertinent to us where we live, we're going to look one group at a time, sift it through scripture and see what God has to teach us and what he has to communicate to us. Okay. So that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. So let's start with a little game. Okay. Let's play a game called Spot That Cult Member. Does that sound like fun, right? I mean, is this engaging or what? All right, let's, let's play a little game. Spot that cult member. Here we go. Here's the first, uh, first picture. Would you say you have spotted a cult member? Let me see your hand in the air, all right? Okay, you can put your hands down. All of you are wrong. Okay, so that was good. Uh, you're, that was a good try, good valiant effort. I've already established now that no one will raise their hand anymore throughout the course of this message. This is actually a person who is a Hindu, okay? You can identify that outwardly. This is a very clear distinction. I would have raised my hand just a while back myself as well, so I was just kind of kidding around with you. But there is a difference. This is so important. There is a difference between a world religion and a cult group. Here's the difference. A world religion would never claim to be Christian. If you were to ask a Muslim, are you a Christian? They would say, no, I am Muslim. (laughs) If you were to ask this Hindu, are you a Christian? He would say, absolutely not. I am a Hindu. If you were to ask a Buddhist, are you a Christian? They would say, no, I am a Buddhist. They are separate world religions. They also have their own separate issues. They do not walk in truth according to God's word but yet they are world religions. They would never claim to be Christian. A cult group, however, is different because if you were to ask the Jehovah's Witness on your doorstep, are you a Christian? They would say absolutely yes. And you've tried this, haven't you, right? This, is your, this has been your attempt to get back to your eggs and bacon on a Saturday morning. They've knocked on the door, you know, run the doorbell, they open the door, and you're like, oh, okay, here they are. Got the suitcase, you know, got all their stuff. This is gonna be a long conversation. I know just how to get back to my eggs and bacon before it gets cold hey, I think you've come to the wrong house. I'm a Christian. And they say, oh, we are too. You ever had that happen? You see, there is a difference between a world religion and a cult group. A world religion would never claim to be Christian. The danger of a cult group is that they do. Counterfeit Christianity. Okay, let's look at another one. Spot that cult member. How about this couple here? Cult group, cult members or no? You say, I have no idea. That's exactly the point. You see, we often have in our minds that a cult member, remember the movie Airplane, right? Remember when they go to the airport and you know, you've got the, you know, the shaved heads and the long hair and a little ball in the end, you know, and they're like handing out flowers on. That's kind of our picture, isn't it, of a cult member. That is not the case. This couple here could work with you, live in your neighborhood, live next door, mow your lawn, cut your grass, feed your dog when you go out of town, check your mail and be the best neighbor you've ever had and yet be walking in the greatest air you could ever imagine. You just have no idea to know from the outside. Let's look at another person. All right, here, here's this, make it a little bit easier. Cult member or no? huh? you figure you got this one figured out, right? Cult member or no? No, no. This is a businessman whose car got repossessed, all right? <laughs> you... <laughs> he's on his way to work, right? He's just right. You, you have no idea. Now, see, we think, okay, Mormon missionary, how many poor guys who don't have cars, that ride their bikes, all they got is a white dress shirt and a tie, riding through downtown, And you're like, there goes a Mormon missionary right there, yeah? And they're not, I mean they're just going to work, right? Just going to work. All right, next one, Here, here's a little easier, cult member or no? All right, yeah, he doesn't just make bad movies, okay? He also also is a part of the Church of Scientology, one of the classic cults, very heavily influenced uh, in the, on the on the West Coast, not as much here. You don't hear about it so much. He and a number of other celebrities obviously a part of that cult, and I will say there are some cults that have some leanings towards Scripture. They will use and misinterpret Scripture and twist it to fit their own doctrine, uh, however, um, Scientology does none of that. They've just got their own. Well, L. Ron Hubbard, who founded Scientology, was a science fiction writer, and he made the comment if a man could invent his own religion, he'd be a millionaire. And he did, and he was. And John Travolta is a part of that, uh, Church of Scientology. Last one. Cult member or no? Looks like anybody you'd bump into in the airport. This picture actually comes off the website of the uh, Unitarian Universalist, or Universalist Unitarian Church, which there's... Uh, local branch right here in our own city and uh, looks like anybody else you can't spot a person who's a part of a cult from the outside and we where as we go through this series and we look at the different cult groups starting next sunday listen it's not about bashing or blasting it is about identifying evaluating and reaching identifying and evaluating for our own good and reaching for theirs Okay, so we're going to lay the groundwork today and begin next Sunday looking one at a time. So let's look at some things that are going to be helpful for you to to keep in mind for all of us. We're going to come back to these things throughout the course of this series. Let's just call them identifiers, okay? Some things that you can see if you recognize in conversation or in print media or on television as you dig in, say you've got a friend that's a part of another church or another group, you kind of want to check them out. These are some things that if you hear, often can identify a cult group. It's like when you wake up and you've got a stuffy nose and you've got a cough and you've got fever and chills, you know you're sick, all right? Those are identifiers. These are some identifiers of things that are going to be important. I hope you'll jot them down. There's just a few. Number one, cults usually claim, ultimately, to be Bible-based and to be Christian, uh, say for, I've already mentioned the example of the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you have that conversation, ask them, are you a Christian? They're going to say absolutely yes. That's the nature of a cult group. That's why they are counterfeit Christian. That's why they are counter-Christian. They do not present them, they present themselves as being Bible-based, present themselves as being Christian. However, they're not. Here's the thing to keep in mind. If you have a conversation with, say, just any cult group member, and you're talking about Jesus, let's say, All right, you have an understanding in your mind of who Jesus is, right? That he's the sinless, perfect son of God. He is also God himself, 100% human, 100% uh, God. He came, he died on the cross, rose again from the dead. You've got your suitcase, right, full of biblical knowledge about who Jesus is. Say you have a conversation with a person from a cult group member, and they also have their suitcase, and it's packed full of Jesus, okay? Okay? When you unpack your suitcase of Jesus, and they unpack their suitcase of Jesus, those suitcases are packed much, much differently. They do not look the same once they're unpacked. If you ask a cult member, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely, yes, I do. And you're thinking, all right, man, this is a brother in Christ right here. We could fellowship. But you got to unpack the suitcase, all right? When you unpack the suitcase, you find that they believe vastly differently than you do as a Bible-believing Christian worldview, follower of Jesus Christ. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses, use them as an example, believe that Jesus is a created being. However, Colossians tells us, and they'll twist that verse all out of context, Colossians tells us that, that he ultimately is, that, 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 that through him and by him, all things have been created. Two very different views of who Jesus is. And whenever you talk to a person or whenever you examine a cult group, what you'll find is they often will begin to claim that they are Bible-believing and that they are Christian at the core of who they are. So you have to be very careful about the terminology that's used. Number two, cults will always, always either deny or redefine Christian doctrine. They will always either flat deny it or redefine it. And many times will try not to go there unless you pull them there. Here's what I mean by this. let's, Let's look at a few different Christian doctrines. You've got the doctrine of who God is, the doctrine of Christ, the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus. You've got the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of end times, the doctrine of life after death. You've got all these different doctrines, right? And what cult groups will do is they will either deny them or redefine them. Classic example is the Trinity many cult groups that you talk to if you speak to a person or the group in large if you read their stuff they will deny some portion of the trinity oftentimes it's going to be the person of jesus so so here's a little here's a little mathematical thing to keep in mind hope i'm not losing you here's a little mathematical thing to keep in mind cult groups always have math problems right either with with addition subtraction multiplication or division they 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 do A cult group, if you talk long enough and if you ask the right questions or if you read far enough into their material online or or in print, what you'll find is they have math problems with either addition, subtraction, multiplication, or division. Here's the problem with addition. Many times a cult group will add another document or another source of authority to either replace the Bible or to supersede the Bible. Example, the the Mormon Church, if you use that term loosely. The Mormons will use the King James Version only, and they will throw in the disclaimer, rightly translated. That's a very power-packed disclaimer. But also they consider on the same level as Scripture, the Pearl of Great Price, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. So you've got four works of authority, whereas, however, for the believer, it's God's Word. You'll look at other groups, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, the Watchtower Society. They will hold on the same level as Scripture. And anytime you hear of any group, whether they use the word church or not, doesn't matter. If they have another written work of authority that either supplants, supersedes, or is an addition to God's Word, the Scriptures, that is a major red flag, all right? That is a problem with addition. Cult groups also have problems with subtraction, meaning they will subtract from, take away from, the person of Jesus Or the Trinity itself. What is the Trinity? It's the person of God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God has presented himself as one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Talk with a cult group long enough, and what you'll often find is that they will subtract, take away from the deity of Jesus. They will subtract, take away from the doctrine of the Trinity. That is a major red flag that is not orthodox, biblical Christianity when someone completely discounts, redefines, or denies the deity of Christ, or the doctrine of the Trinity at all. Again, Jehovah's Witnesses are classic with that. Many other cult groups as well. So cult groups have a problem with addition. They have a problem with subtraction. They also have a problem with multiplication. In other words, they will multiply what is necessary for a person to go to heaven. For the believer, we understand that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus made it very, very clear. And yet, when you get into the doctrine of certain cult groups, what you'll find is, is that, yes, Jesus will often be mentioned as part of the conversation. And they will hold him out as a great figure in history, perhaps even in their own belief system. However, what is often believed is that Jesus will get you to first base, but you've got to do more to get to second, third, and all the way back home again. And so, again, you've got to be very careful because if you ask, oh, are you a Christian standing on my doorstep today? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Yes. But those suitcases unpack completely differently. And so for many cult groups, the problem with multiplication is they will multiply ways for a person to have eternal life or a person to have a relationship with God. And again, that is completely discounting the doctrine of, of salvation that we read of ultimately in Scripture. Uh, and then the last thing, addition, they add works of authority, uh, uh, subtraction, take away from the deity of Christ or the Trinity, multiplication, and multiply ways to get to, to heaven, uh, ways to be saved. And then the division Aspect of many cult groups is that they will divide your loyalty between God and their organization. When I was on campus, when I was at Georgia, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I began to learn about a group called the International Church of Christ. International Church of Christ, also known as Boston Church of Christ, uh, sets itself up on many, many college campuses. Real flashy leader, his name was Kip McKean, was the fellow who started it off. Uh, very charismatic. And what the International Church of Christ would often do on college campuses across the country was that they would ultimately draw college students. And once you were drawn into into their ministry, so to speak, what would happen was that you would be assigned basically a mentor. Mentors are good, except in this context. And every decision virtually that you made as a person had to be sifted through that mentor. And there was a very divisive almost as though that person became your God. Very divisive, pulling you away, isolating you from those that you should have been connected to. And that many times is a classic sign as well of simply a cult group. Let me give you another identifier, in addition to denying or redefining Christian doctrine. Number three is that cults will often be led by very charismatic, charismatic, divinely inspired leaders. Remember David Koresh, Branch Davidians, Waco, Texas? Remember that from a couple of decades ago? Uh, Sun, Young, Moon, Unification Church. The list goes on and on. Many times cult groups will have divine, they claim to be divinely inspired leaders. Not just a leader, a divinely inspired leader. And that's classic in cult groups typically across the board. Number four, they claim new revelation. They claim uh, uh, new knowledge. They claim new truth. Uh, Again, that's just a a red flag that you need to be careful of if you you interact with any person out of a group or any, any particular group that even uses the name church, and they claim new authority, they've got this new revelation outside of Scripture, again, that is a classic identifier of a counterfeit Christian group or someone who is badly skewed away from the truth of God's word. And then number five, just last, is that cults often claim to be the only true church. Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the Jehovah's Witness church, again, using that term loosely, they believe if if you're outside of their group, then you're not in a relationship with God at all. You were an apostate. I remember standing one time on, on my front, uh, uh, the uh, driveway at home where we lived, and having a conversation with a couple of folks that were Jehovah's Witnesses. And at the end of the conversation, I'd said everything I felt like I needed to. They'd said everything they wanted to. And, uh, and I asked, Can I pray with you guys before you go? uh, and they wouldn't let me. (laughs) And it's probably because why should I pray? I'm an apostate in their eyes. And, uh, they're just trying to reach me. And so any group that you come across that says they are the only true church, you must be a part of that organization to be right with God again is a classic identifier for a group that is a cult group. So here, here's really the, here's the tension. Here's the tension. My time's almost done. Here, here's the tension for most people sitting on a, on a seat like where you're sitting, there are a couple of questions at play, and they're somewhat frightening. One question is, how do I respond? When I interact with a family member, with a coworker, with a neighbor, with someone who knocks on my front door, when I have that interaction, what am I supposed to do as a follower of Christ? Am I supposed to engage them, or am I supposed to disengage from them? Am I supposed to connect with them, or am I supposed to steer clear and run from them? What am I supposed to do? Hopefully you'll understand better as we move through this series. Another question is, should I be afraid of them? And a third question is, that perhaps is the most frightening of all for many believers, is, what if I get sucked in? Because for many believers, this is sad to say, but for many believers, whenever they interact with a cult member, the thought of it, they think, I don't know the truth the way that I should never taking a step to then know the truth, but just being content to know very little and to dumb down the faith, right? To dumb down Christianity. And the fear is I don't want to engage with a cult member because they may tell me something that sounds good. And then next thing you know, I'm the one handing out flowers. I'm the one that's a Mormon missionary. I'm the one that's knocking door to door and I don't want that to happen. So I'm just going to keep my distance from them. And there's a real tension that's there in the body of Christ as to how do we interact with a person who's a part of a cult group. Listen, we must engage them. If the Jehovah's Witness church on the island called me and asked me to come fill in and preach, you know what? I'd be excited to do that. I'd walk right into that church and preach, but they're not going to choose my message, right? I'm going to preach what I feel like God wants me to preach. That's never going to (laughs) happen, you know, I don't think. But we don't need to disengage from them. Listen, we, we're the salt of the earth, right? We're the light of the world, Jesus said. And it's not about us, it's about him in us. And the last thing the body of Christ needs to do is to dig a trench and dig a hole and hide from those who are in error or from those who are deceived. It doesn't mean we're any better. It doesn't mean that, that we're smarter. It just means that we do have the truth Right, The message of the gospel, God's word, and we need to be willing to live it out and to build relationships and to be willing to connect with those in darkness regardless of where they are, who they are, or what they believe, and let God use our lives to make a difference. And so Acts chapter 19, let me just be real quick. Acts chapter 19, let's just give you a picture here. This isn't like a cult group. I think you'll see the similarities here. Acts 19 verses 21 through 30, snapshot out of, out of Paul's life, out of Paul's ministry, He's in a city called Ephesus, and he says here, verse 21 says, Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he'd passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Uh, That word, the way, is a reference to Christianity in the first century. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. Artemis was the false goddess of fertility. There were 33 shrines to Artemis built around the Roman Empire. This particular temple in the city of Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a massive structure. Dominated the city of Ephesus. So a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. That's a good way of saying he was loaded with sales, (laughs) making a ton of money. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours falls into disrepute, But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. You know, you can't help but recognize in that passage that Paul engaged, he did not disengage. He engaged with that lost city and those deceived people. He did not disengage. Another thing you have to recognize in that passage of Scripture is that when Paul engaged, he faced opposition because this was a spiritual battle. This was a spiritual battle. Listen, focus. And the third thing you see in this passage is that when all was said and done, it was God's battle to fight and win, it was only Paul's to participate in. Paul took the truth to the darkness. Paul stood and contended for the faith. And yet only God can drive the truth into the heart of another person. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about proving a point. It is all about standing for what we believe, established in God's Word, and reaching people who are lost and deceived with a tear in our eye so that they can know God as well. Four things I want you to do through this series. Four things that are important. Number one, I want you to develop, if you haven't already, a plan to read the Bible every day. We've got Bibles in the lobby we'd love to give to you. If you don't have one, we've got, we got devotional guides out there we'll give to you but develop a plan lots of online reading plans plans in the back of your bible probably you can find a plan to read the bible begin to read it every day if you've never read in it before i would recommend two books either the book of psalms or the book of the book of john in the new testament the book of psalms right in the middle or the book of john in the new testament but read god's word every day that's what makes you strong it's what gives you roots that go deep number 2 pray continually pray continually number 3 i would say be here every week or or here online. If you have to miss a Sunday like I'm going to in a few weeks, I'll be out. At least access it online. You can do that and listen. The number four I would say is to take advantage of the ministry opportunities that God gives you. I will be sorely surprised if by the end of the series, if you're engaged and locked in and you have a hunger to know the truth and to communicate the truth, I will be very surprised if God somehow has not orchestrated that someone who believes differently than you has not crossed your path. And so pray, take advantage of those opportunities to share the truth. No greater thing you can do than to share the truth of God's word, the message of the gospel, in the life of, the, of someone else. And by the way, by the way, as I close, how much difference is there really between a counterfeit Christian who claims to be Christian but believes so badly differently? How much difference is it really between that person and the one who claims to be a follower of Jesus but at their heart level really isn't? The question I think we have to grapple with first and foremost is, what about my own faith? Even though I may have come to Christ and given my life to Jesus, has my Christianity become counterfeit? Because the life I live, Sunday night until the next Sunday morning, do my actions render my own faith counterfeit in the eyes of those who know me? If you've never given your life to Christ, man, no greater decision you'll make than to give your life to Him today he's ready to take over if you'll only lay down your sin invite him to forgive you and to be your savior and your lord let's pray god we've gone long today but god i thank you for the opportunity to be equipped i thank you for your word that speaks into our lives and god as we take a few moments now to really wrestle with this message to perhaps even examine our own walk with you to see if others would say our faith is counterfeit because they just don't see you in us. Lord, I pray that as we take inventory, that if there are areas of our lives that we need to clean up so that the gospel message goes out clearly, that we'd be willing to do that. If we need to make adjustments or changes and put things away or take things on, Lord, give us the courage to do that, that you might be first in us, And Lord, for those here this morning that have never given their lives to Christ, there will be many in this culture knocking at their door, beckoning for their attention to give them their version of what will fix their lives. But we know that there is only one Savior named Jesus, and there is only one gospel that changes life in eternity. And so God, for those that don't know you today, may they meet you when right where they sit this morning, they choose to not let sin characterize them anymore. They turn from it. And they asked Jesus, God himself, who died in their place, to come in to forgive and take over. And so God, bless these decisions we make. We thank you for what you'll accomplish. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.